Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast, this for UFC Fight Island. I've actually lost track of uh, which Fight Island this is, but Holm versus Aldana, the fight everyone's been clamoring for in the main event. Obviously, a lot of uh, fights have dropped off of this and so on and so forth, but me and Cody Saftik going to rip through every single fight and uh, and say where our head's at on things as we... Uh, Get you ready for this one. Uh, Cody, how's it going this week? Yeah, not bad, man. Sorry, I couldn't join you in studio today, but uh, I don't think this is exactly the card that necessitates us getting together in person all the same time. You can always find value on any card. So in in that regard, happy to be talking with you, Paul. And then, yeah, last week, I'm going to consider it disastrous effort enough in that, uh, yeah, the main ticket's blown off because of Reyes and just a couple of picks that I thought guys would perform a little better didn't is what it is. You just got to move on to the next card in this one. So, yeah, we go from a pay-per-view where you get two title fights to uh, this offering where you have Holly Holman and Irene Aldana in the main event. And not only that, the co-main event – is this even the co-main event, Paul? The co-main event that nobody asked for in Carlos Felipe versus Jorgen DeCastro. Both guys coming off losses. Both guys not exactly looking good in the UFC. Both guys don't look like they'll ever be top 20 contenders. Mm-hmm. Co-main event. So yeah, there's 11 fights on this card. You could jumble them in just about every single order and people wouldn't sure. question the rotation of said fights, but they're fights. There's opportunity to be had here. So let's get into the main event. We've got Holly Holm taking on Arena Aldana. Holly Holm is a minus 125 favorite. Aldana can be had for plus 105. Take it away, Cody. Yeah, again, you got a ladies' main event here where uh, I think at the best of best, Holly Holm's a far superior fighter than Irene Aldana in that, you know, she's faster, she's more mobile, she's got the more experience, she's a probably a more polished striker, and over the last couple of years, she's been showing you a little bit of a wrinkle in her ground game. Decent wrestling, decent jiu-jitsu, decent, you know, pressure. If she can't quite get you down, she doesn't mind mustering you up against the cage. A lot of things you can like out of Holly Holm. What you don't like out of Holly Holm is now at 38 years old, there is that impression that at any point you could, someone's going to come in here and defeat her. She's not looking great in these losses is that, or in her wins. It's that her losses against just the, the top, top competition. Think about her last five losses. You have Amanda Nunez, the two-way world champion, two-way class world champion, the GOAT of, of women's MMA. That's her last loss. Mm-hmm. Chris Cyborg, the former world champion, used to be the GOAT, 145-pounder. Jermaine Durandamy, former world champion, 145-pounder. Valentina Shevchenko, current world champion, 125-pounder, but, you know, the, the world champion. The three current 25, 35, 45, all cha- covered. And then Misha Tate, the former world champion in the title fight prior to that. Like, she's only lost to the absolute best of the best. Irene Aldana doesn't even come close. When you look at all Irene Aldana's record, she's not even fighting nearly the level of competition. Ketlin Vieira, Vanessa Mello, Bechkoea, Lucy Putalova. She lost to Raquel Pennington, the last girl that Holly Holm coincidentally just happens to have just beat. So when you look at, like, experience and talent and competition, it's nowhere near. Holly Holm should be able to go out there, outstrike Irene Aldana in the spots that she wants, and then outside that, try to use the takedowns. Try to get her down. If you can't get her down, because honestly, Aldana's kind of mobile as well. Maybe it's hard to track her. Get her, get her in the clinch. Clinch her up. Get her up against the cage. Work her against the cage. As far as output goes, Holly Holm at one point, 
had okay output. But listen, she always pulls her punches. And Irene Aldana kind of happens to pull a lot of her punches as well. I would predict this is five rounds of a lot of pulled punches. But Holly Holm could do enough in the striking department that when she mixes in the grappling, mixes in, if she can, a couple takedowns, then she would win the rounds. But but as far as youth and athleticism, and and, and, and listen, punching power doesn't go all Donna's way. Just because she knocked out Ketlin Vieira doesn't all of a sudden make her a murderous power puncher. She's not really somebody that's shown, uh, you know, big, big power on her strikes. And Holly Holmes literally only been knocked out by the creme de la creme. I don't know. I don't know. I think you would have to go the, the favor, the experience, and, and go with Holly Holm. But again, I mean, it's not a main event that I would want a ton of exposure into. When we get to the DraftKings side of things, I don't think anybody's going to be a particularly high score despite it being five rounds. And as far as the straight money line goes, I mean, yeah, it's not bad. You can get Holly Holm. You might even be able to just go Holly Holm by decision to get some plus money in that because as much as I do like Holly, I don't think she's knocking out Aldana, and I don't think she's going to submit her either. So you would probably have five rounds of Holly. You know, it's going to sound like a tennis match. There's going to be a lot of movement. There's going to be a lot of feints. And and ultimately, I think Holm edges it out. But I don't know. And the last thing I want to bring up with Irene Aldana is uh, Irene Aldana. See, Holly Holm didn't look particularly good against Raquel Pennington last time. I, I get that. She gets the victory. But it's Aldana's fight with Ketlin Vieira. See, on highlight rules, you just see the knockout. When you go through topology, you go through sure dog and all that, and you just see the knockout. When you watch the tape on it, Ketlin Vieira is a very unrefined striker, very unpolished, very gritty. And she fights a way different style than Holly Holm, don't get me wrong. She's forward pressure going at it. But as crisp as Aldana is, there's no solutions there for her. Like, she is getting hit. I think she probably edges out the first round and then knocks her out. Obviously, wins the first round. But at the same time, Ketlin Vieira is giving her all types of troubles. Like, I, I, I just don't know that when she fights the world-class opponents that Holly Holm has been facing, that she would even be able to give them a go at all. And Holly, yeah. you know, in it to win it, she always tries her damage. That's for damn sure. Mm-hmm. Even though she's 38, you've never met a girl more motivated than Holly Holm to go out there and get the victory. She's always in phenomenal shape. Because it's, you know, it's, it's pretty much a slight pick, really. Um, my slight lean would be Holly Holm. By decision. I'm surprised that we got through that whole breakdown without you poking fun at the fact that she's 38 years old. That's usually your move. She's You're a like, specimen, though, dog. She's in great shape. You got to give her that. A lot of people start to like absolutely. decline at 38. She uh, she just shows up every time looking like a thoroughbred racehorse. I'm like declining at 34, Cody. Or I'm, wait, no shit. I'm 35. <laughs> See, I've already lost my memory here. Um, there you go. I'm, I'm with you, actually. I, I actually, I think there's going to be, because Holly Holm doesn't exactly have the best wrestling I think there's just going to be a lot of wall install here, uh, especially in the early yeah. rounds. Holmes going to go out there. It's going to be very similar to when she took on Megan Anderson, where it's just like hold this girl up against the cage and, you know, don't stay out of trouble. Don't let yourself get knocked out. Holmes been knocked out in the past, but that was like way back in boxing. Oh, my God, that will that knockout popped up on my timeline the other day, like. That referee from that boxing match way back when should be Mathis? should yeah, be put yeah, in yeah, prison, yeah, yeah. man. Like that's that was fight. that's like nearly dirty, like dirty, trying no. to kill somebody. Um, but yeah, I think Holm wins this fight just from grinding it out, holding her up against the cage. It's gonna be kind of a boring fight from what I see here. Um, yeah, it's like the one thing Aldana's good at. Holm is like world class at that. So. Home is the pick. Home by decision, I think, is the most likely outcome. Let's move on to the co-main event, the vaunted co-main event between Jorgen DeCastro and Carlos Felipe. DeCastro, minus 255 favorite. Felipe, plus 215. Quick little takeaway from me on this one. 
is the only saving grace that this Carlos Felipe has is that he seems kind of durable. And I think we learned from Jorgen DeCastro in his last fights, like he's going to try to throw some heat early on, but he's definitely did slow down considerably as the fight wore on against, uh, against Greg Hardy. I, he didn't really have much of a plan. I guess he couldn't really break the pocket. Uh, Hardy fought at distance and I don't know. Um, I think Jorgen DeCastro should win this fight. I think he's got a lot more talent, but minus 255, middling heavyweights. It seems kind of like a stay-away fight to me. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's probably more of a stay-away fight just because you factor in Jorgen DeCastro's price tag. As far as if it was the same price as the main event, then yeah, I would definitely be going with a little Jorgen DeCastro here. But because you're getting him as like a minus 265 favorite, it's just, a, it's just a little too much juice on it. Think about this to put things into perspective. You nailed this guy, this mop right here, as a plus 550 on Contender Series. Plus 550. But it's a nice dog cash. Comes to the UFC, he gets Justin Toffa. He's, again, dog money. You hit him as dog money. The Greg Hardy fight, you get lulled into trying to take a poke on the plus 165 because... It's Jorgen DeCastro dog money. And he'd but be when good you to bet me. Jorgen DeCastro, that's how you bet him. You just yeah. bet him as the underdog, yeah. knowing, you know what, the guy's a really short little heavyweight. Uh, he should definitely be fighting at 205, but he can generate a lot of power. He's got nasty leg kicks. He, you know, he could probably go out there, give you a solid five minutes. And against the Alton Meeks of the world, against the Justin Toffas of the world, Maybe Greg Hardy proven not to be, but maybe looking back on that going into it, yeah, yeah, give him five minutes of hell. Maybe that works, but you bet this guy at dog money and hope that he wins here and there and it's going to eventually pay off. When you start betting him as a near to three to one favorite, all of a sudden it's like he's really got to have the goods here. And then you go back to that the level of competition. When he's beating guys, they're kind of really low level guys. He can defeat them. He's knocking them out in the first round. If he goes out there against Carlos Felipe, who's kind of a big lumbering heavyweight, uh, 260 pounds, over six feet tall. If you hit this guy a few times and he doesn't go down, and what's it going to look like? And I'll tell you what it's going to look like. It's going to look real sloppy because you mentioned DeCastro's got cardio issues. Carlos Felipe. Oh, man. You know, it was weird when he debuted in the UFC because he hadn't fought MMA in three years. He had a boxing match, one boxing match, somewhere in between those three years, but hadn't fought MMA in three years. Now he's making his debut against Sergey Spivak. And Paul, he just gassed out hard. His boxing didn't look like he was a refined professional boxer. His ground game, you know, good enough to survive. Uh, I thought there was moments, but ultimately his cardio was awful. Now, I think it was a bit of a short-notice fight. His UFC debut, he's only 25 years old. This is a three-month turnaround. That's not really enough time to get any better. But what he has is probably good enough to be competitive against Jorgen DeCastro, assuming he doesn't get knocked out in the first round. So I'm still going to pick DeCastro. The way I see the play fighting more times than not is that DeCastro is actually a better striker, a little more mobile because he's a smaller guy. And just works him with the leg kick, works him with the leg kick. Mm -hmm. And then when they both get tired and there's no takedowns going down, he's able to beat him. One thing you have to factor as well is that uh, Carlos Felipe is listed at six six feet tall with a 75-inch reach. So he's only so no got... No doubt he's going to be bigger. He's going to be bigger than DeCastro. But DeCastro is listed at six feet tall with a 74-inch reach. Yeah, That's so like... comparable. A lot when of... I think of the Greg Hardy matchup, Hardy is a freak of nature, man. He's 6'5 with an 80-inch reach. 80.5. It's like, oh, man, I think exactly. Jorgen figured out in that fight. It's like, man, I can't close can't off break the this six-inch sure. reach advantage. 
So now he's just hanging on the outside. He can't get close enough to land his kicks, so he's rendered ineffective. Against a guy that's his size, he's going to land those kicks. And with, with Felipe, he, he's, he's literally effectively had one fight in the last three years now, and it was a loss of Sergey Spivak. Mm-hmm. So you go to Castro, but the price is very, very dangerous. So I, I would say the smart move would be passed. If I tweet out some fun parlays, you know, we got to include all these guys on the parlays. To Castro's big favorite for a reason. He's on this card perceived to be one of the safer guys. I would agree with it. I'm just saying middling heavyweights, both guys coming off a loss. They fought in really low-level competition. Felipe will be better than the last time you've seen him. I don't know how much better. Maybe a little bit better. And maybe a little bit better is not good enough because he was awful the last time you've seen him. But he will be a little bit better. And DeCastro, we've seen him three times now. Is he a one-trick pony? Does he need the first-round knockout? I don't know. But I go back to that fighting Hardy is very difficult. He's not a world-class fighter. He's a world-class athlete. And fighters have trouble dealing with that. So so I'll chalk it up as just a bad matchup and think DeCastro gets back in the win call. Moving on down the card, the only bet I've made on this card, Cody, is in this next fight. Jermaine Durandamy takes on Juliana Pena. Jermaine Durandamy is a minus-135 favorite. Pena, plus-115. I mean, GDR, I know she got, you know, taken down eight times against Amanda Nunez, the lady goat. Um, her, she has two losses in the last eight years, both to the lady goat. Uh, Juliana Pena, obviously she's a grappler. She needs to get the fight to the ground. We see the whole potentially while JDR is taking on the Lady Goat. But she got to decision against her. Um, and she continued to get back up. You can only get taken down eight times if you get taken down, you know, like once every single round and you're still getting back up. I think we're just talking a whole different level when it comes to these two ladies on the feet. I took it at minus 120. Uh, about two days ago, I'd play GDR all the way up to like minus 200. I think she wins at least 70% of the time these two ladies match up, to be perfectly honest. Um, I'm shocked that the, the that it's so tight, to be perfectly honest. Juliana Pena is so one-dimensional. All she's, all she's going to try to do is like suck this fight to the mat. But a lot of the times when she's doing, you know, when she's being successful with this type of game plan, she's taking on women that are smaller than her. And GDR has a massive re- or a pretty sizable reach advantage. Not, or she's fought at 145, look, doesn't look at a place there. At 135, she's massive. I think uh, Juliana Pena is in for a world of her. GDR is the pick, is the play. It's the only thing I've got money on so far. What's your take here? Did I make a yeah, mistake, Cody? Enough. You know what? No, ah, I, I think you're probably onto something there for sure. I mean, there was a once upon a time here, Paul, where little Cody Savick would have been all over Juliana Pena. What she brings in comparison to what Jermaine Durandamy is, it's perfect. Jermaine Durandamy is just such a, repol- a, a, a polished, refined kickboxing specialist. She takes on somebody who's gritty and just gets these takedowns and is strong and is durable and is relentless and has good cardio. Juliana Pena would dust her all day long. And then a series of things happen. One might call these series of things life. First, it was baby. injuries. She got a bunch of, yeah, well, that's what capped it off. But uh, she's got a bunch of injuries. She has a knee injury. She has a shoulder injury. She takes some time off. When you look at her compete, right, she fights uh, Jessica I. It's 2015. She beats Jessica I. Now she takes on Kat Zingano. It's actually a, one year later she fights Kat Zingano. Then she fights Valentina Shevchenko. 
Again, it's like an eight-month layoff. She takes on Valentina Shevchenko. And by the way, when's the first round against Shevchenko? Is pressuring her. Is that strong, relentless takedown artist? Now, she has always not been – I don't want to call it skilled. She's definitely skilled. Uh, she doesn't seem the most like technically sound. She seems like she's muscling a lot of techniques. Not that everything is like crisp technique always. But boy, oh boy, she just wants it so much. And then, so now she's getting injuries. And then there was that bar fight, right? Remember her in that? Well, I don't remember her bar fight. I'm, I'm going to look it up while you talk about it. Juliana yeah, Pena. She, 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 she nutters two bouncers at a bar. Nutters? Two bouncers. Nutters, Paul. Nutters, both <laughs> of them. See. I'm, I'm looking at it. I got to see this. Then there's... Then there's low-key this interview I remember she did with John Pollock where he asked her about, like, do you watch Ronda Rousey fights? And she's like, uh, no, the last time I watched a Ronda Rousey fight, I, I smashed my glass and, like, cut something. So, like, I don't watch Ronda. But it's like, my God, she's insane. And then she has a baby. That's called life. Again, you know, injuries and tough times. And now you start a family. And now she's, I believe she's married. And. She's got all these different things. It's like fighting kind of gets put on the back burner. She wasn't old. It wasn't like, but you're starting to get those, not the prime years of your career didn't pass you by. Technically speaking, she's 31. She's right in her prime right now. It's like those developmental years leading up to your prime where you were getting more experience. You were training in the gym and you're working on your ground game. You're working on that technique. You were getting, that all kind of gets away from her. So when she returned to fight Nico Montano, and again, she's now coming off like a, a year long layoff year and a half, I believe, closer to two years, when she takes on Nico Montano, it's it's you know, her comeback finally. She's had the kid. She's not coming back to MMA. This is a tailor-made matchup for her. Because as you mentioned, she has her way against smaller opponents. And Nico Montano is a former flyweight champ, had trouble making flyweight, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming up to 135 is giving up the size advantage to, to Pena. Pena's going to get her down. And you know what, man? That fight plays out way closer than you would have liked it to. Pena's only able to get her down three times. Nico Montano managed to get Pena down twice. Striking numbers are fairly fairly close, but again, Pena does enough to get the win. I thought she won the fight. It's just, it was like, oh man, okay, fair. First time in a long layoff. She just had a baby. Very, very understandable. No problem. It's the taking another year off now. Now she's coming off like a 15-month layoff since the Montano fight. It's not as if she fought Montano and then four months later she got booked and then six months later she got booked after that. And now that's two more fights in a 10-month span. And it's like, oh, yeah, now she's getting that ring experience in. The ring roster has gone. She's feeling good. You get a better gauge of where she's at. Never got that. She just got another 15-month layoff. So was it due to injury? I, I don't know. She had a canceled fight with, with Aspen Ladd. And it was canceled due to injury. That was in, I think, March. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't disclose the injury. And now you're coming back in the summer. I don't know. I, I, I could not tell you. Yeah. So you're 100% right. The assumption is that Pena at her best can go out there and take down Jermaine Randomy and do it multiple times. But in reality, she goes out there and takes her down and doesn't finish her early in the first round with a the, with the submission. Gonna- and now all of a sudden she starts struggling. As the, the later the fight goes, she's struggling to get these. It, it's not even close on the feet. No, it's not close at all. Yeah, I, I would hate to make the comparison to like Aspen Ladd, but like Aspen Ladd's my baby. I'll tell you straight up. <laughs> she's a, just very wild and open and like not not a technical striker at all. Jermaine literally needed just a few punches to carve her up. Now, Pena can take a shot. Don't get me wrong. Pena will have to take a shot in this fight. 
She's gotten but in, yeah, the like game 20, plan, 20 person bar fights. Is, I, I didn't really yeah. see her slinging any punches in there, but she was. There's another clip, uh, I wasn't obviously able to listen to it, where she says that men try to fight her in bars. So she's maybe she's ready for it, but she's given up three and a half inch reach, too. That's that's very, very that's problematic for her. If they any time on the feet should be GDR absolutely dominating this fight. Yeah, yeah. And I just think the long layoff is going to lead to that as well. Cardio won't be where it should be in Durandamy. But but again, it's a bad style clash for Durandamy, being that it's grappler versus striker. Grappler generally wins this matchup, mm-hmm. and Pena could do some serious damage here. Not only could she get her down, but I mean, Paul, she's got a pretty good submission game as well. Like, I could see her submitting Jermaine Durandamy. But, it, it, but yeah, you factor in layoff, you factor in one fight in the last three years, and it was a close decision against Nico Montano. Versus Durandamy, I think it's so easy that we all say, oh, she can't wrestle, she can't wrestle. I mean, she Why she can't she? She got taken down Why eight times she? and survived against Amanda Nunez. The so best. I mean, the that's best not to say ever. that, you know, that's MMA math. And no, and, no, and that's not to say that she can't get submitted by Pena. That is Pena's path, path to victory here. But I have faith that GDR, you know, she's been working. She knows what the holes in her game's in her game is and she obviously wasn't able to implement very much against uh against amanda nunez but i don't know this this is just seems like a perfect spot for her to uh to bounce back yeah 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 low key as well when you think about jermaine durandamy it's like she went five rounds and only reason it wasn't competitive was she just kept getting taken down it was obviously nunez but she made nunez work she started tiring out nunez nunez the goat in every regard of the sport it didn't want to strike with Jermaine Durandamy. Man, no. maybe there's something to that. Cyborg, one of the goats, did, lasted 51 seconds. Holly Holm, a perennial goat, lasted four minutes and 10 seconds. Felicia Spencer went five. And holy shit, Paul, was that a beaten over five? Amanda Nunez looks good against the best of the best. And when you factor in uh, Jermaine Durandamy, it's like, yeah, man, she, she, abs- she absolutely made her work. So, you know what? I Originally, when I saw it lined up, I was thinking I would take a, a shot at the dog. Just because, again, I think it's a favorable matchup. But the more I looked at it, it's just like, yeah, the layoff's not there. The technique's not there. Jermaine Durandamy, very superior striker. And the line's not quite really dog money, you know? Like, if I want to bet Pena, I'd like to bet Pena like, plus 145, plus 155, plus 165 would be ideal. Plus 115 is just not good enough. So, upside to that, Durandamy, one, minus 135. I mean, yeah, if you got Durandamy, it's, you're only paying a few more a few more points off even like I, yeah yeah I, I like it i would like to chalk this one up to another pass situation but on a card that there's hard to feel comfortable with a lot of plays maybe jermaine duran jermaine duran me falls into that category but i don't know man there's a lot of question marks on this fight for me so i, I would kind of think i want to hit a hard pass all right fair enough uh let's move on down uh we'll go to uh kyler or sorry actually no we'll go to uh i'm looking at two different pages right now uh we got uh dusko todorovic taking on dequan townsend todorovic minus 325 favorite townsend plus 265 i mean good on townsend for having this type of run in the ufc and and still getting a fourth fight lost to uh, Delka, Delka by getting absolutely pounded in the round three, 
Lost to Vivon Lewis, lost to Devin Clark, both of those going to decision. The one thing that he's got going for him tends to be his durability, but like I don't see very much talent coming from the other side. But they're making you pay the piper to uh, to get on board with Dusko, who we haven't seen in over a year when he beat Teddy Ash on the Contender Series. Um, is there any value to be had on this fight? Because... I'm nervous about laying minus 325 on Dusko Todorovic. And I, I wouldn't let my worst enemy put money on Dequan Tansend at this point in his uh, UFC tenure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anything, Dequan should at least give a better version of himself at 185 pounds than he was at 205, which was just, he's obviously out of place. But yeah, at the same point, I mean, what, you're not betting Daquan. You're never going to bet Daquan. This is not the spot to bet Daquan. So you're, it's just, you, you don't, you don't do it. As far as betting 320 on a guy, it's MMA. How many times have we been burned on these spots where, oh man, he's a near three to one favorite. And no, it's a little bit risky because this, this, and this, but, ah, but the guys know, and you get burned completely agree. But this is definitely one of those spots where I'm willing to try to get, I'm willing to get burned. To see it through. I think Dusko is just a far better talent altogether. I mean, it, it, he's he's still young in his ways, 26 years old, developing. But not only is he coming off that contender series win to, over Teddy Ash, who I'm very familiar with, solid talent. You know, it looks like he's green in his own ways. But, man, he just beat everybody's favorite crazy man, Michelle Pereira, in the mm-hmm. fight prior to that. So does he fight a ton? No. That's kind of a red flag. That's kind of a problem. Where is his cardio going to be at? Again, those are all issues. But he's 26 years old. And this is a guy that all signs would point towards him getting better, even just a little bit. The UFC loves taking guys like this and screwing them over hard and just giving them a really bad matchup. It's just what the UFC does. Oh, maybe they're too high on them. Maybe he's already got a win over Pereira, so they feed him over to somebody who's already that that level. Like, you just don't know. Them giving him to Quan Townsend. And prior to that, by the way, he was booked against John Phillips. UFC knows what they're doing. UFC realizes, oh, here, here's a nice little talent. Here's a good prospect. Here's they something tried that, to book him against John Phillips getting better. three times. Three times. And yeah, that's how, well, technically speaking, the one that's like a, it, it was two days around. Remember the UFC got canceled early because of COVID? So then yeah. they moved some fights to the uh, Cage Warriors card. Mm, true, true, so true. They moved it to the Cage Warriors Fair. card. Then it got canceled. And then he legitimately withdrew from the third John Phillips, technically the second John Phillips matchup which was just three months ago with an injury, right? So now he's coming on a three-month three turnaround from that. You don't know what the injury was. So you don't know if it's something minor. You don't know if it's something – obviously, it wasn't major. But you just don't know if it's something that he's fully gotten over. You don't know what his training's been like because he – COVID situation, like this and that. Like I, I, I don't know. That's, that's when you start thinking, do I want to pay a three-to-one price tag on a guy? He's got the bigger wins. He's got the better skill set. He's the younger guy. They're clearly trying to do a little bit of marketing with him in that they want to give him some winnable fights. And then you give him Daquan, 34-year-old Daquan Townsend, 0-3 in the UFC. Win that got him into the UFC, Wayman Carter, 7-9. and Well, what about the win before that? Eh, Portland Pringle, 11-10. and And that was a split decision, Paul. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the win before that? Wasn't a win; it was a loss, and it was Jamal Hill. I get it, but he, he can beat guys with 500 records and guys with losing records on the regional scene in Michigan by split decisions. Sure, sure. I don't think anybody's questioning that. But he's not winning these spots. He's not winning UFC fights. He's not winning fights over guys that are decent prospects. And listen, against Dolce, Dolce just blows him out of there. People weren't sure what to expect at Daquan's UC debut. 
in the fight with Bavon Lewis, they wanted to fade Bavon. So they were like, maybe I'll give Daquanson a sniff. You know, maybe Bavon's not that good. Bavon's not that good. And still, Townsend literally shows nothing. He couldn't even get off the cage. Then he gets Devin Clark. A lot of people tried to fade Devin Clark because you know how it is. People like to fade Devin Clark. And, uh, and still gave Daquanit a shot. And again, nothing, nothing. Couldn't get his back off the cage. I'll give Daquan one thing. He is a pretty durable guy. Dalton knocks him out, but outside of that, you know, he has gone rounds. He's gone decisions. Very hard to put away. Maybe he can get, you know, Dusko tired in the later rounds. Possible. But even if he does get him tired in the third rounds, he's not knocking him out. He's not submitting him. Then what? He wins the third round big deal. So where I'm not going to chase a knockout submission decision prop, you would just have to bite the bullet. Bet Dusko at that kind of very bad price tag of, Three to one, three to one plus. Uh, yeah, yeah, but 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 we're not. I'm not. I'm not betting Daquan. World doesn't exist. I know it's 2020. <laughs> I know I said some crazy things, and I know the last two events haven't exactly gone in my way. But yeah, I, if if Dusko is the one to shit my apple pie, then so be it. But like, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking Daquan down. So no chance. I like where your head's at there. All right, the next one is this Carlos Condit's uh, retirement fight. Because hopefully, no, because he's calling out. He's calling out Nick Diaz. So clearly, he wants to win this one and. Fight Nick Diaz. Uh, that 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 would actually maybe make sense if Nick Diaz ever plans on coming back. I see pictures of him in the gym and so on and so forth. But like, I mean, Condit is on a five fight losing skid here. Um, you're talking about what, like, two wins between these guys in the last like five years? Like, it's it's absurd. Uh, we got Carlos Condit taking on Court McGee. Court McGee slight favorite, minus one thirty. Condit plus 110. The problem with Condit that we've seen recently is he doesn't seem to have the cardio. Um, or, you know, he's fallen into submissions into the, in the second round. We don't see very much of him. I think the best of God, Carlos Condit left about five, six years ago. And, um, I mean, this this line, maybe to some people, they'd be like, oh, Carlos Condit, former champion. This, you know, he should be able to get one off on, uh, on Court McGee. In theory, Carlos Condit will have the superior striking technique, power, speed, but that's us thinking of Carlos Condit like five, six years ago. Um, at the current climate, I'm going to be watching the weigh-ins very, very closely on this one to see what kind of shape Carlos Condit comes in at. Because uh, skill for skill and talent for talent, Big advantage to Carlos Condit, but I think that guy is so gone at this point that I think this line is pretty reasonable, to be perfectly honest. The one thing Court McGee has always had going for him, what, the guy's died twice, came mm-hmm. uh, came back to life. The guy just doesn't, doesn't quit, doesn't get finished, and against Carlos Condit, who even when he was at his best, I think his cardio was always kind of questionable, rarely, re- rarely won like the later rounds of fights, had to kind of get out ahead or would finish guys early. As the fight wears on, I expect Court McGee to uh, just have the better gas tank. I, he's not going to get finished, very likely. Um, I This will be a fight that I'm looking almost even closer at in the live markets uh, to hit Court maybe after a round, round and a half, and uh, see if Carlos shows any signs of fatiguing. Uh, pick for me is Court McGee. Can't believe I'm saying I'm picking Court McGee over Carlos Condit, but, you know, it's 2020 and shit's weird. 
Yeah, shit is definitely weird. And I, yeah, and it, you got the natural born killer versus a guy that's already been killed two times, dog. And both times resurrected from the dead and went on to prosper. And uh, yeah, that's the thing with Court McGee. I mean, you take a guy that's so flashy, what was so flashy, so dynamic, so kind of ahead of his time, really, in Carlos Condit, who's just known for that finishing ability. Listen, I mean, he's one of these guys that really owns his nickname. He's got 30 pro wins, 28 of them by finish. 15 knockouts, 13 submissions. He puts you away. Now, maybe part of that is why we think he's got bad cardio now. It's like, oh, now that he's not putting guys away, he starts to fatigue. But I don't think it's a cardio issue. Like, I just think it's that he runs out of weapons. And well, now it is now. But I just mean back in the day, anyways. I mean, he went five rounds with Nick Diaz, where the later rounds is what saves it for him. He goes five rounds with George St. Pierre, where in the fourth round, he drops him with a head kick. He goes five rounds with Robbie Lawler in a fight that he landed like 176 significant strikes. There was a time where he could go those five rounds, but the inactivity, the age, the injuries, the timing, the new generation moving on, it's really exposed him. Now, to fully expose Carlos Condit, you have to take him down. Cormagee's got maybe a tendency to wait a little too long on the takedowns. So if he stands around with Carlos Condit a little too long, who knows? But that flashy dynamic striking that's knocking guys out before, I I don't know that it's there anymore. No. Like in Carlos Condit's case, um, he's been he's only 36 years old, right? Not gonna harp on him for the age, because again, court's 35. It's pretty comparable in that regard. But he's been fighting professionally for 18 years. It's just like a at some point, it's like you're not fighting those early generation guys anymore, those mid-generation guys anymore. Now you're fighting the new age. And Cor McGee doesn't even fit the description of the new age. But Carlos just he hasn't he hasn't upgraded his skill set. And as a result, they're still giving him top names. Because when you're a former WEC champ, you're a former, he was the interim UFC champ. Uh you've got a big name, you're a Carlos Condit. They don't give you easy ball matchups. The guy's gotta either benefit from beating you or have a decent name himself. So as a result, his losing streak is Robbie Lawler, which was for the title, Damian Maya. We all know Damian Maya, Neil Magny, Neil Magny, Cowboy Oliveira. Definitely someone they've put some marketing money into. And Michael Chiesa, the former tough champ, who's a top contender. They're giving him top guys. Mm-hmm. Now when you look at Court McGee, it's like, ooh, that's not exactly the definition of a top guy. But I actually agree with you. I, I think I think whereas Court McGee falls into the same category as one of these old school guys that's been around the block with fighting, he, he's he's upgraded his skill set. And mm-hmm. he's in there fighting competitively he's fighting with against the new generation. Tough young generation guys. Sean Brady, Sean Strickland, like those guys are legit. Split decision Diego against Diego Lima, Lima yeah, because well, Diego Lima was tiring. Court's not going to finish anybody. I mean, that's the best way to beat Diego Lima is, is to crack that chin. Court's not going to do that. But, yeah, he's competitively fighting with the new generation. Carlos, I can't say the same thing for. No, no, I agree. He, he's he's in there. And, and I think it comes down to, again, it's going to come down to, right to, uh, to the grappling, right? I think Carlos Condit can go out and outland Court McGee. I think Cormac is going to be moving forward. And I think that kind of pressure is going to slowly break away at Carlos Condit, who, again, as you've mentioned, kind of showing signs that he's starting to fatigue. Cormac, he doesn't get tired. He really doesn't. No. And to be honest, his last fight against Sean Brady, man, I am sweating balls as a Sean Brady better. Because Brady Brady cruises on him early because, hey, these young, these young guys of the next generation, they're fast and they're good. They start quick. They're good footwork, and they're dynamic, and they, they beat you to the punch, but you can still wear on them. You can still break them down a little bit. And Cormagee's out there breaking down Sean Brady, who I'm very high on, who I think is a very good prospect. Brady wins, but Cormagee gives him a very hellish third round. 
And uh, good on Court McGee. Prior to that, Diego Lima fights a split decision. He, he's, he's Like you mentioned, he's being competitive with that generation. Whereas Khan has been fighting good guys, no doubt about it, but he's giving up a lot of takedowns. He gives up very easy takedowns. He doesn't even appear to be fighting them. So I think when you factor in Cormac McGee forward, forward pressure, he's landing his own strikes. He's not going to be completely out of it, but eventually just mixing in a takedown or two, grinding up against this guy against the cage, that should be the deciding factor. Uh, if you've got Carlos Condit, you, you you should book Carlos Condit again. Listen, him versus Nick Diaz in a rematch makes all too much sense. Mm-hmm. Nick maybe Nick Diaz somebody. is not actually serious about coming back. Fight somebody that's only going to strike with you. And maybe that's what they expect out of court. Maybe maybe there's a gentleman's agreement. Court's going to stand and bang with them to give the fans a show. But, uh, I, I yeah, I, I, I honestly think I'm agreeing with you 100%. I think that Court has actually got a little more left in the tank. Uh, he's he's kept with the times. And I think that his grinding style and his cardio is what's going to lead him to victory. And uh, last thing here, a fun fight. The fans win on this fight. But this is a real fuck you to ESPN, in my opinion, if you're the UFC, because this is the pre, this is kicking off the prelims, right? So why do they do that? They always give you a decent prelim headliner because they're selling off on Fight Pass. This fight is infinitely better than this shithole co-main event. Think about it. You've got two middling heavyweights that have never accomplished anything that are on, both coming off a loss. Carlos Felipe, you can argue he shouldn't be in the UFC. Jorgen's cashed a couple of dog tickets for you. So, you know, it, it, I respect the guy a lot. Uh, but what? Like, co-main event? That makes no sense. I mean, they Cody, put that over Jermaine Duran and, and Pena. You could, you could jumble up these fights and put them in any sort of order. It's This is like, yeah, I don't I, consider I, I would, anything a, I guess, Holly Holm because, you know, she knocked out Ronda Rousey like six years ago. Um, she gets, she's the only person that, like, you're going to put her in a main event. But, uh, I mean... Yeah, you can you can jumble up this entire card. In fairness, there's some there's some bangers that did drop off. Like Tiago Santos versus Glover Teixeira was supposed to take take place on this. What Glover yeah. Glover got COVID. That sucks. Bar- Darius versus Charles Bel- Oliveira. Yeah, Tom that- Breeze was supposed to be on. Like I, I feel you. Yeah. There was a fizzled bout between Jeremy Stevens and Edson Barbosa that was supposed to take place. Like there was potential here. Uh, all that potential is gone. But uh, if, you know, if lots I, of fights. If uh, I told you. If I told you that you had the choice to either watch the main card or the prelims, or let's say they're two different cards, I think that the prelims has a, a good argument. Their their headliner is Carlos Conor versus Court McGee, right? Which is a fun fight. Versus your headliner is Holly Holm versus Irene Aldana. Eh, I don't care if I didn't see that fight. My my co-main yeah. event, Charles Jourdain, Kudalaba. <laughs> That's going to be a fun fight. Your co-main event, yeah, yeah, a couple, couple heavyweights. It could get real sloppy if they both get tired outside of that first round. You know, mm-hmm. I, I got Imovov, Jordan Williams, banger. I got Luka Bume, Junior Frey. As far as women's MMA goes, that's a banger. That's a good fight. And I got Casey Kinney is always in funny fights. And my, 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 my kickoff prelim, Jessen Ayari versus Luigi Vendramini, fun fight. You're dealing with Daquan Townsend and Kyler Phillips versus Cameron Else. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think the prelims on this card, like you said, you could jungle it all around. Yeah, I think the prelims are just as good as the main card, really. Kyler Phillips is taking on Cameron Else, as you said. Uh, minus 485 Kyler Phillips, plus 385 Cameron Else. Uh, you, got, you got any hot takes on this one? Because I do not. 
Yeah, I just don't understand the pricing is is really what it comes down to. It opened up at four fifty. That seemed like a pretty big price tag to open something up at, and then immediately got steamed a little bit to four eighty five or something. I believe it's at something close to that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It yeah. Opened up I at mean, like four fifty okay. or so. Yeah, it's four eighty five. I look around the market. Yeah, it was like low fours. Like they opened it up kind of around this. It's been a little bit of action coming in on Phillips. I imagine he probably uh, continues to grow a little bit, but. Yeah, both these guys are yeah, pretty inexperienced. My, no, that's exactly it. My issue is that I know I I know I'm out here talking about I'll take that shot three twenty five on Dusko, but first of all, this is an even bigger spot on four eighty five on Kyler Phillips. It effectively makes him the biggest favorite on the entire card. And uh, listen, I think there's a lot to like about this kid, but he's still growing. And we talk about a week in and week out about these prospects. He's only twenty five years old. And last week we mentioned about. 25 and under maybe i said under 25 so 25 actually as far as my new rule goes he's in the clear but but again they're just green they still got to learn they still got to go through the process they still got to get some you know so some experience under their belt before you'll see the best version of them kyle phillips maybe fits that that example still so getting somebody that's young like that matching up against cameron else first of all he's supposed to take on uh dana bat tagarel who's a mongolian wrestler maybe that's probably a more favorable matchup now, at least you've got the full camp. At least Cameron Nelson is coming on a short notice. At least there's a bit of that advantage there. But at the same time, it's a completely different opponent. You studied, you trained for one specific guy that was going to largely look to take you down. And now you get Cameron Ellis, who I think will largely probably try to take him down as well. But at the same time, I know he's been spending a lot of time working on his boxing as well. Cameron Ellis maybe fancies himself a bit of a striker now. I don't think, I don't know for sure if he does, but, but maybe, maybe he can show Kyler Phillips a few things. Um, I like what I see out of Phillips. So again, this is somebody that has been spending time at the MMA lab camp that you and I are both high on still mm-hmm. young. He, uh, he was a season, he was a casting of season 27, I believe of the ultimate fighter. And on that show, he's the favorite to win the show. I mean, he's, I think he's the first round draft pick, um, of the season and there's a lot of high praise for him. He's undefeated at the time. He can wrestle, he can strike. He's in really good shape. He's got really good cardio. He goes up against Brad Katona, who, I'm all over Team Katona because at the time Katona's our guy, you know, and he's on the Ultimate Fighter. He's Canadian. Mm-hmm. You're gonna, you're gonna two, back him. Two five-minute rounds too, right? Not a an exhibition. Yeah, and, it, and honestly, in the first round, I mean, Kyler Phillips looks really good. I just think maybe it's that inex- again. It's just the inexperience. Prior to him getting on the Ultimate Fighter, he's actually on Contender Series, right? He beat James Gray in 46 seconds on Dana White's Contender Series in 2017. So imagine going out and knocking a guy out in 46 seconds in front of the boss. And them not getting you, giving you a contract on Dana White's Contender Series, where it's basically the Oprah Winfrey Show. Everybody gets contracts. They don't give it <laughs> well, to. Well, that's they, that's modern. That's like the twenty twenty. They give them a tough deal. Yeah, but they're giving every like this year. They're just giving everybody contracts. They were a little bit more, a little bit more uh, selective. Let's say when the Contender Series first started that's that's fair but i just think it comes down to here's somebody that's still green and still inexperienced and so instead of bringing him into the ufc with a contract right now let's put him on the ultimate fighter and then that way he can get three fights in the eight weeks i think or 12 weeks that you're taping the show get some experience under his belt grow from there go on to the next level perfect this is a good little spot for him they put him on the ultimate fighter and he's he's, he's the dead set favorite he's the runaway favorite to win the season coming off the contender series win Perfect. This is their guy. He's already fought in front of the boss. They know who he is. Perfect. And Katona, again, yeah, it, it's it's an exhibition-style fight. Your regular coaches aren't there. Uh, your regular training situation is all thrown a loop. He also fights Brad Katona at 145, whereas Katona's a 35er as well. 
dude, Katona couldn't fight fight couldn't find fights for a long time, and he'd fight at forty five and fifty five all day. Undersized, fight at it all day. So I, that, the size and strength advantage definitely went to Katona in that spot, and he loses. No big deal. His loss to Victor Henry, that CFX fight after that, dude, no big deal. Victor Henry is the fucking man. The guy is an absolute warrior. He's very tricky opponent. Uh, ch- ch- you know, he spent a lot of time at Alpha Male, but he's fought all over Japan. He's fought in very good opposition. To lose a split decision to this guy, still so young in your career, man. He's like 24 years old. 23, I think. Shit, dude. Good on you. And then now, now you see him getting better. You see him making improvements. He beats uh, Amika Emefikadu on LFA, and then he beat Gabriel Silva in his UFC debut. You see him getting better. Now he's the guy that's supposed to be fighting um, Bantangarel. Having Cameron L step in, I hear you. Phillips is getting better. He's young. He's developing. Here's somebody we thought would be good a few years ago. Took a little more time, but he's going. He's getting that experience, that learning experience that we always talk about. There's not someone that needs to be undefeated. He's learning it now. Perfect. Definitely got him as the favorite. As far as the skill set goes, I think he goes out there, out grapples him. I think he could submit Cameron Ellis. I think his striking's, you know, probably has a striking advantage. Could knock out Cameron Ellis. I got it. But the price tag just doesn't quite add up. So to not completely write off Cameron Ellis, even though he's from the UK, he's take, he's, I think he's had to spend this camp from the UK. He's known kind of as like a BMF kid, right? He shows up to the BMF ranch and just, bam, just, he trains with these guys full time. Really likes them. He lists Joey Villasenor, smoking Joe. If you remember him, mm-hmm. old school guy from from uh, Greg Winklejohn's camp. Um, Greg Jackson. No, I'm sorry, Greg Jackson. John. Yeah, my bad. Mm-hmm. Greg Jackson camp. But uh, yeah, I think he's a date Holly home back in the day as well. Anyways, he lists him as his head coach, and then his other listed coach Donald Cerrone, uh, Valmir Nato, and Greg Jackson. You know what? This guy is one of Don Cerrone's training partners. He spent some time there. He's going to be scrappy. Now, when you look at his career, he didn't start out particularly good. I think he starts out his career like four and three. He's fought in decent UK competition guys at Arthur top prospect. Spencer Hugh was a good fighter, a lot of experience. He's losing to those guys early on, but then he just took a big regression in competition and has fought in largely no name guys for the last few years and has looked really good. There's no doubt he's been making improvements, but he's 29 years old. He's not the super prospect. You got someone in Kyler Phillips, could be a super prospect. Again, he's very young, 25, getting better. Already got his UFC debut out of the way. Was training for his, his sophomore effort. Spent some time in the Ultimate Fighter. Was on Contender Series. That's all experience. Cameron Ellis has none of that. None of that. He fought on a couple Cage Warriors cards. He fought on a Brave CF card. That's the highest stage he's been on. He's coming now on short notice to, to fill in here. Um as well, you look at his losses. He's got four pro losses. He's been knocked out in two of them. Both of them, uh, sorry, Ed Arthur knocked him out in the first round. Damo Whedon knocked him out in the second round. And then he's got a decision loss and a submission loss. But above all else, right, just like you would expect out of a Donald Sterling prodigy, just, just like you'd expect out of somebody who's a BMF ranch, he's a potent finisher. He's currently on a six-fight winning streak. All six wins are coming inside of the first round. He just goes for it. Not only that, his pro record is 10-4, and four, all 10 wins coming in. The first round he's either beats you in the first round with a quick submission or he falls apart now this has cost us in the ufc so far you know these guys that just are going to go out guns are blazing let's say i bring up a Derek minner for example Derek minner even tj laramie i got laramie all laramie has to do not get submitted in the first round minner's going to get tired and what does minner do bam first round guillotine the difference there is minner's a 30 fight veteran right who's fought a ton of actual veterans has that move in his back pocket down pat is a BJJ black belt, is in his 30s, has already experienced octagon time, 
you know, those guys are going to catch it. I don't know if Cameron else is the guy to catch it. Could Kyler Phillips be there to be caught? Sure. But I give him the grappling advantage. I give him that wrestling advantage. I give him the cardio advantage. I think that he'll just wear him down over time and eventually get the victory. It's just a big price tag for a guy. Second fight in the UFC, still young in his career. You know, I, I would have to say I've been burned in spots like this before, and I'm not too eager to get burned in another one. But it's an 11 fight card. I do see myself passing in some spots. And you said it yourself at the top of the show. We were talking a little bit. Um, the This is a card where the favorites have been steamed rightfully so, but they deserve to be steamed. They are all rightfully so good-sized favorites. He should be a 3-1 to one favorite. He should be opening it up at 4-1. to one. Okay. They open it up at 4.5 to 1. Even that was um, okay. And and by fight time, this is going off at at least 6. The way it's trending now, it goes off at five, minus 550, minus 600. So you want to add to parlays, maybe you do it now before it gets even worse. But um, yeah, I, I I agree. I just don't really fully like that kind of a price tag. Yeah, following that trend of this card, Charles Jordan minus four forty five favorite against Josh Coolabel. Um, you look at their records and you go, oh well, Charles Charles Jordan is ten and three, but. I mean, he's fought some pretty decent level Canadian prospects on top and, and won some fights against, you know, your boy TJ Laramie, who let you down last week, but that's uh, or two weeks ago. But that's uh, for a different conversation. He lost to Des Green, Andre Feely. He's never been finished. Um, and, you know, he I actually kind of like this skill set. He may be the best fighter in or the best Canadian fighter going right now which is uh, kind of speaks a lot to the level of competition in the UFC or Canadian competition in the UFC. But uh, cool about when I was taping him for his fight against uh, Jalen Turner, uh, I just didn't really see it. I know he was 8-0 coming into that fight, but you could just see the writing was on the wall that the guy did. He hadn't really fought anybody of any sort of quality. And he got exposed for what he is. The guy hits hard, probably in the first round. But I think as long as he doesn't get knocked out for the first time in his career against Josh Kulabel, I think Charles Jordan cruises here. He even, I'll, I'll retweet it right now so you can see. Some guy said, or asked him, um, can you guarantee me a win this weekend before I lay minus 450? And Charles Jordan with a verified check mark. Said, put a million, put a million on me. I think he wins. Obviously, the price I just retweeted right now, so you can see. Um, I, I think he wins. I think he uh, he has kind of a pretty well rounded skill set here. It's he's gonna be minus five hundred. That's kind of on the trend of what we were just talking about. Like the favorites are the favorites, but like, and they they seem really really wide, but. It's because usually that like their opponents are are, are uh, you know light years behind them in terms of their development in the game, and I think that's what's going on in this fight. Charles Jordan is the pick. Um, you have any uh, any quarrels with that? You know what, Charles Jordan is when we talk about y'all young and prospect and green and developing. This this is how you do it, man. Just like him, and again, he's the youngest of this bunch at twenty four, but just tested himself right from the get-go. I mean, when he was in TKO, bam, I'm going to fight TJ Laramie because we're both really young. I think when they fought each other, let me just get it straight, TJ's 20 and this kid's 22. They're they're both young pro- – they're both the two best prospects in the country. Why would you, why would you fight the other best? Why, why wouldn't you just not cross path? Because that's what you do if you want to be the best. And he, he goes out there and he loses to TJ Laramie. No shame. The other thing is it's five rounds. He goes 25 minutes in there. 
This is a young fighter. He's 22 years old. Five-round experience. No problem. When he beat Damian Lampolis, he takes him out in the fifth round. Another title fight. Up a weight class. Fighting at lightweight. No, not a natural lightweight. Goes out there and beats Taylor Lampolis. You guys will remember from uh, UFC fame, obviously. His older brother, Damian Lampolis. Kicks his ass, man. Looks at first round's a little dicey. Kicks his ass after that. Five rounds. Experience. Getting better. Now, you still got to gain that experience. Why he fought Des Green on short notice in Buffalo, where Des Green's from, um, was up a weight class? Bad, bad move. And now this exposes the problem with Charles Rodea. His wrestling is super lackluster. Like, defending takedowns not happening. TJ takes him down. No problem. Des Green goes out there, takes him down four times, takes him down. Now against Duho Choi. You know what? Jeez, why would you be fighting Duho Choi? Everybody loves Duho Choi, and he's going to be the man. And this is a big, this is a big effort. You just, you just make your UFC debut, okay? You're a young kid, young prospect. You want to make a career out of this. He was a plus five fifteen underdog against Des Green. What kind of young prospect takes that kind of fight that early in their career? This guy, because Jordan's a fighter, man. Next time against Duho Choi, he's a plus three hundred underdog. This is the second fight in the UFC. No favors done to this kid. None. Nobody has done him any favors. He goes out there, a very good competitive first round against Duo Choi, knocks him clean senseless in the second round. Huge fucking win for the kid. Big win for the kid. Now he gets Andre Feely. Like, what? Plus 185 underdog he is. Plus 185 under. Andre Feely is already a 10-time UFC veteran. Andre Feely's already fought some of the best guys. And above all else, Andre Feely's got that wrestling advantage in his back pocket all day. Mm-hmm. And he utilizes it. Five takedowns. Takes Rodane down. Taking him down is the way to beat him. Josh Kulabau is never, I, I've never, I don't know. I've never seen him take a guy down. No. Uh, he tries to bomb owns, in round one, and that's that's how he typically he also wins fights owns if he effectively, wins. Yeah, yeah. He owns effectively zero submission victories, which would just go to show you he's not a grappler. He's not looking to engage in the grappling. He wants to bomb on you. Charles Jordan can take one hell of a punch, he can give back. One hell of a punch. He returns fire. He's got great cardio. And I mean, yeah, he'll throw spinning back fists and he'll get he'll throw elbows and he'll throw knees. And they call him Air Jordan because he'll just go airborne and clock you with the knee at any point. Like he's super um where where a couple years ago, a guy like that it needs to learn some lessons and he's gonna be in for a couple gut check. He, he's gotten that. And he will continue to get that. Not against Kulabau. Kulabau ain't gonna teach him shit. Kulabau is gonna be another win on his record that he moves through. Now, it just goes like you mentioned. Oh, fuck. We got another big favorite here. We got a guy that's a minus 445. The difference is he's proven, right? We got Kulabau, who we, we, we know a little bit about, just not sold on him. And we got Jordan that we're seeing, we're liking. He gives Feely a hell of a go. Feely's a top 15 uh, gatekeeper, right? And he's giving this guy a hell of a go at 23 years old. Well, he's only going to get, keep getting better, guys. He's only going to make those improvements. TJ Laramie lost his UFC debut. This, this is a guy, think about this, right? This is a guy in Jordan that lost to Laramie a few years ago. And his path since then has been, give me what you got. Mm-hmm. And he's growing. And Laramie just lost his debut because he's still got to go through what Charles Jordan has already gone through. He's the more refined prospect. And I think he goes out there and he, he puts on a very entertaining and a good show. And that's why the USC should... Um, that's why this should be co-main event. You know, this why this this should be on the main card. Like, you, why would you not try to showcase this kid? He's so fun. This is a striker versus striker. This is what the the the, the fight fans clamor towards. But no, no, no. You're gonna give me Daquan Townsend on the main card. The only struggle that we have here is that 
I mean, Cool Bow does have super long reach, 73-inch reach versus Charles Jordan's 69. That could maybe pose some problems early in the fight, but that, that's that's where the problems were going to happen as it is. Like, Cool Bow's going to come out hot, and if as long as Jordan doesn't get taken out early, we should cruise all day here. My, again, yeah, I would, I would hope so. I, I would think that uh, you know Andre Feely is actually an inch taller than Kulabau and has an inch reach on Kulabau, so mm-hmm. it's like he's already dealt with that. Yeah, good and point. he's fine. And, and because he was like moonlighting as a lightweight as well, like he'll fight at he was fighting at forty five, he's fighting at fifty five. He's down to fight the larger guys. Like even right before he fought Lapalus, before he came to the UFC, he had two canceled bouts with Jesse Ronson, right? The same Jesse Ronson that just won at welterweight against Nicholas Dalby in the UFC. Jordan, who's currently fighting at 45, is barking up this 170. Natural 55er. But I'm saying just filled out at 170, didn't look out of place. One against a big guy. Like, Jordan is a junkyard dog, man. And he's got finesse to him, too. Like, there's mm-hmm. a lot to like about this kid. And if the UFC is wise to it, they'll give him the Josh Kulabaz of the world. Oh, they did give him Josh Cool about. Interesting, interesting. Okay, well, yeah, no, I got, I got Charles Jordan for sure. All right, we move on down. We've got Jordan Williams taking on Nasruddin Imavov. Uh, jo- uh, Jordan Williams, minus 140 favorite. Imavov, plus 120. I was I remember watching, uh, Jordan Williams has diabetes, correct? For, yeah, if you've ever watched so Contender Series, they love, they love telling you about that. Exactly. So he can't cut weight, which is super problematic, I think. But like Imavov, quick look through his profile. Got to watch some tape on him still. Um, uh, one he weighed in at like one six seventy six his last time out. So clearly he's not a middleweight. I'm really worried about Jordan Williams. When I watched him on Contender Series, I was just like, okay, this is great. You're fighting a bloated welterweight. Let's see what happens when you take on an actual middleweight. Because if you can't cut weight. I don't know. I think they put this guy into a precarious spot. You know, he's on the Contender Series a couple times. He finally gets that big win, gets the knockout. They sign him. Here he is. Good for him. Good opportunity. But, like, I don't know how this guy competes long-term at uh, middleweight. Uh, As for this matchup here, can you tell me anything about this uh, Imovov? I know that he trains um, out of Fight Factory Paris uh, under uh, my boy Nganu's main coach there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dagestan, Russia, but I mean, I'm coming off of the heels of, uh, you know, not everybody from that region of the world can uh, go out there and and pull off a Habib or Kamayev type of game plan. Can can we get this fight to the mat? Is that what Nazardine does? I got to watch tape, as I said, on him still. Um, What's what's your take here, Cody? Because I'm not going to lie. You know me. I see plus 120. I see you were born in Dagestan, Russia. I want to fire, but I can't do it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's me, my friend. Uh, this is going to be my official, I believe, first dog play of the card. Let's go. I think they got a lot of these priced out pretty good. And uh, yeah, if, you, if you're not going to take a shot on Pena, I, I like Imovov. Now, he's again, he's only 24 years old, and we talk about the same thing, but he, he hasn't gone through those trials and tribulations. That's fine. But I like what I see out of him. Dagestan, Russia, as you mentioned, I mean, he's he's born in that region of the world. His wrestling is not his go-to. He's okay. more of a striker. Wrestling is there. He's got grappling there, but he's more of a striker. Gets out and goes to France, right? As we talked about uh, Kazma Chimaev, born in Dagestan, Russia. Or sorry, is he Chechen? Regardless. He's Chechen, he, yeah. He's 
Yeah, I was pretty sure he's Chechen. Um, you go from Chechnya, you train with the best guys, you train with you know, some of the best wrestlers in that region. Eventually, you get out, you go to Sweden. Now he's just added a bunch of striking to his game. He's added different elements of grappling to his game. Now you see somebody that's kind of growing into himself. Nuzruddin Imovov's the same thing, right? Once he left, he went over to Fight Factory Paris. And, I mean, he's a routine. I, even though he's technically only a welterweight, he's going to be considered a small middleweight for sure. Uh, he's someone that they list as one of the training partners for Francis Ngannou, for Surreal Gagne, um, for both of the Lapalus brothers. They got a decent little camp out of there. They do a good job of taking best French talent, putting them together, making it work. And I feel like this guy is definitely falling into his own. Six foot three, 75 inch reach. Honestly, he's what Zalib Imadayev should have been, right? Imadayev kind of known as, you know, as beat 2.0 and never really lived up to it. He's 0-3 in the UFC, but he was just kind of had that good technical boxing and no grappling chops to back it up. Comes to the UFC, doesn't pull the trigger. Imavov's not like that. I mean, when you see him, he seems a lot ranger. He's a lot more accurate. He's a lot more opportunistic. I kind of would consider him more of like a, a Manuel Laziz who debuted a few months back. People weren't really giving this guy much looks, but I mean, he's clean. He's technical. He's pretty refined. His last win over Aries FC. So uh, Robin Black ended up doing the play-by-play on that show. So he asked me to do, it was like notes for the guys on the card. So I had to look at him then. And I mean, it checks out. Again, he's young, 6'3 for the weight class. Pretty good size comes in. The guy he's fighting, Jonathan Mernier, he actually fought in the UFC once upon a time. Yep. He actually fought Colby Covington once upon a time. Uh, and a bit of a brain injury caused him to not be able to fight in the UFC. He fought TKO as well. And then he takes over this fight with uh, an Aries FC versus him. I think he asked, can we make this a catchweight at 176? Because he's a big guy known to miss weight as well. Takes it at 176, and he just blows right through Mania. He looked good. He looked really good. It was like, you know what? Sign this guy up. And as a result, he got a fight on Contender Series like a month ago. He was supposed to be on Contender Series against Gregory Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, I don't know, the, the fight got through. I don't know if it was a visa issue. I don't know if it's, you know what, he's back in France or he wherever he is, and maybe he can't get to Vegas, so we're just going to put him on this card anyways. But, like, he's going to be ready, man. He's had a good camp. It's been a t- 10-month layoff since the Meunier fight. He's only 24. I just think we're going to get improvements out of him. Now, Jordan Williams, it's no disrespect to Jordan Williams whatsoever, but from what we see with Jordan Williams, he's a kind of a bit of an overachiever, right? The ramazat Kermagomedov fight. He won that fight. I think he won that fight. It was a close fight. He gave a good account of himself, but ultimately he loses. Now, Kermagomedov wasn't exactly the biggest guy as well. It's at 185. He comes in against Gregory Rodriguez, who I think just didn't look like exactly he should have been in that spot. Physically looks like he should have been in that spot, but very green, fought a very, very bad game plan. BJJ specialist, high-end BJJ black belt, allegedly, and uh, didn't want to take Jordan Williams down, just stood there and and got punched up by Jordan Williams. But of note, Williams weighed in for that fight at 181. And that goes back to the diabetes things. He can't cut weight, so he walks around at 181. He didn't, obviously, he didn't cut no weight for that. Mm-hmm. that. That's what he's at. Whereas you've got this Imovov, you could easily say, you could easily look me in the eye and say, well, I mean, he's not a middleweight either. My reply to that, logically, at least it's logical in my head, he's 23 to 24. That's, that's the age gap since you've seen him, last fight till now. He's six foot three. In his last fight, he couldn't make welterweight, so it was a catch weight of 176. Yeah. Guy's growing, man. Yeah. Guy's going to get big. Guy's going to fill out that frame. And I bet you he comes in looking like a good-sized middleweight. And I think beyond this, you'll see him probably stay at middleweight and be a good-sized middleweight. And I think that, honestly, he's just going to either find the target and take Jordan Williams out, or maybe this one goes a little bit longer and it goes into those third rounds. But 
Um, we've seen in Jordan Williams' record, he's lost to Kazula Vargas, fights in the UFC now, got knocked out. And Dwight Grant absolutely melted him in a, in a fight. Those guys are, are well, maybe not Kuzula Vargas, but Dwight Grant's got a ton of power. Maybe Imovov doesn't have that same amount of one-punch power, but he's accurate. They call him the Russian sniper for a reason. He's going to pick him off. And I think against Jordan Williams, a guy that has just been out there fighting as a dog every time out and giving you a good run as a dog against contender series guys is now going to take on a guy that looks like a contender series guys that I, that I think has got the skills to hang in the UFC already. So I love Jordan because at 24, he's proven himself. He's going to be on tickets. I'm going to take that run, right? This, this kid here, same age has not proven himself. I've liked what I've seen on the regional scene. The regional scene isn't this scene, right? So I'm not running to cash to hit a, you know, a big three to one play on him. Oh, but that's where it all makes sense. He's a plus 120 underdog. So I get a nice little prospect already liked, already liked against a guy who's been giving us a lot of entertainment and been fighting for our dollar, no doubt. But a guy that I think is there to be exposed, maybe just a little bit. You're going to need me plus money on it on a card where I got a lot of favorites anyways. Yeah, no, Imavov is, is be my dog of the week. I would, I would say dog of the week. Right, well, well what else do, what, do I have another dog on the card? <laughs> do I have another dog this week? He's definitely dog of the week when you look at this lineup. Um, no, yeah. There really isn't a other dog that we're like targeting here. All right, let's continue to work through these fights. Three more. And honestly, this uh I'll get to it in a bit. But right now we got uh Jin Yu Frey taking on Loma Luke Boomi. Uh minus one forty five Luke Boomi plus one twenty five for Jin Yu Frey. Um, any hot takes on this one? Uh, probably a stand-up affair. Loma's looked pretty good on the feet. Uh, I'm not looking to lay any money as it stands right now. Uh, what about you? Yeah, again, I got Loma, Loma Lukabume, but Jin Yu Frey has a way of making everything a sweat situation, right? But she's a big favorite. She just doesn't throw enough. When she's the underdog, she maybe comes out a little bit scrappy. But two things are pretty consistent with her. One, former Invicta Atomweight champion, 105 pounds. And listen, Lukabume is small as well. But, you know, fighting at 115 is never really going to be natural for her. She fights at 115 in the UFC just because there is no 105 pounds. Second thing is it's just yeah, the output's not there, right? She just kind of allows it to get away from her. She's a good striker. She's got some, you can't say power because, you know, again, I think when you weigh 115 pounds, it's hard to generate a lot of finishes that way. Um, but she's she's clean. She's technical. She's been training for a long time. We always talk about her husband, uh, Douglas Frey, BJJ Black Belt. <clears throat> but because she's not naturally the, the straw weight, when she takes on bigger, bigger opponents, she easily gets kind of muscled around a little bit in the clinch. She can get taken down. Her ground game doesn't really add out. And then standing, this is your this is your element. This is your one time you got to shine. You just don't throw enough. So mm-hmm. it's very, very, very frustrating. Anytime you've ever backed Jin Yu Frey, uh, it, it's, you know, a tough prospect, so to speak. She comes into the UFC, you know, kind of going this whole thing. Maybe we should be betting at women's MMA. But I like Kay Hansen. I like Kay Hansen because Kay Hansen's a go-getter. She's strong. She's aggressive. She's very young, very green. But she's got a nasty little BJJ game. She's aggressive. And, and, and her wrestling, it, it's its a work in progress. Striking, work in progress. She had that pro boxing match. But she's tying it all together. Jin Yu Frey makes this one a sweat again, man. I mean, she's in it definitely the first two rounds. And then finally, Kay Hansen gets the fight to the ground and is able to submit her in the third round. I'm very elated. But it just goes back to a Jin Yu Frey. Like, it's hard to write her off. She's got skills. No doubt she's got skills. But it's hard to also back her because she doesn't really tie those skills together when you would like her to. The reason I'm going to take Loma Lukabume in the spot is that it's just it's going to come back right to output. 
Mukubume is a good striker. She's got that, that traditional Muay Thai style where they're not looking for a knockout punch every punch out. They are just looking to slaughter you with output, you know, kicks, punches, knees, elbows. Just hopefully try to work you. You want to take Lukubume down. You want to get her out of her element, just take her down. Yes, she's been working on her wrestling. Yes, she's been working on her grappling. But ultimately, she's a striker at heart. You want to take her down. But Frey's not going to do that. Frey probably has a grappling advantage, but I don't think she's got the physicality to just muscle her to the ground. And as far as the striking goes, if Lukubume is out striking her 2-1, to 3-1, to one, then she's going to lose the decision. And as far as the strike battle goes, or the clinch battle goes, that's another thing that really helps Muay Thai fighters. They're just so nasty in the clinch. They're very strong in the clinch. They can out-muscle you. And they love just doing those short shots, short little knees, short little elbows. That's super effective in MMA. Up against the cage, short little elbows, short little shots. In close rounds, you one person just chips away at the other person. They end up getting the decision. Mm-hmm. So I got Lukubume here. Again, it's... It's not a spot that I would say, oh, geez, minus 145. It's not the worst price tag. It really isn't. I no. see some money's probably going to keep coming in on her because I think this is not the worst spot. And the card that the big favorites are steamed, definitely look for Luka Ubermay. But man, oh man, I mean, it, it's just somebody that's effectively the first Thai fighter to ever make the UFC because Thai fighters don't have the grappling yet. They will eventually to compete with the UFC caliber, but maybe she can get away with it. She can just get away with being a, a striker. Someone that also has fought at 105 pounds. She's four and two as a professional. You know, one and one in the UFC, only win over Albu. You don't really love those spots. No. But as far as you do your tape study, you, you, you look at it. I could see Luka Bulume just being the stronger fighter in the clinch, getting probably landing, outlanding Jin Yu Frey and getting the victory. But if Jin Yu Frey just has the better footwork, stays to the outside and just pot shots her to a split decision victory, not going to be surprised either. So maybe it's a dog or pass play, but, but my heart's telling me Luka Bume, so I, I'm just going to take Luka Bume by decision and uh, call it a day. This may be a hot take. I don't know. Tell me if it's a hot take or not. Casey Kenny's taking on Haile Alatang. And Kenny, minus 335 favorite. Haile Alatang could be high for plus 275. Casey Kenny is far and away the most talented fighter on this entire card, and he's buried way deep down the prelims. Is that a hot take? Remember when I said earlier I would take the prelims over the main card? Yeah. I, I completely agree, man. Casey Kinney's low-key badass. He fights all the top guys, or he's trying to fight all the top guys that he can. He gives yep. everybody a run, and, and and this is a fun fight, too. Like As far as two guys that are going to go and put a, a hell of a little weight fight on, this is going to be a fun scrap. And yeah, it buried. Buried on a fight where it's below Luka Bume. And I mean, I we talked it. about some of these other gems that are on the card as well. There's some fun fights on this card, but they're doing a bad job of profiling. If you told if you told the average fight fan, you know what? This card's got Holly Holm. She's the name. Don't get me wrong. They might know Jermaine Durand to me. And you go Carlos Condit, and then you slip in. You slip in Jordan. You slip in Imovov. You slip in Casey Kenny. Casey Kenny has wins say- over Brandon Roy Val, who's been looking amazing. I know, man. Uh, Vince Cachero, I, I believe, was in the UFC for a short period of time. Wait, Ray Borg. Ray Manny Borg, Bermudez, Manny Bermudez, Luis Smoka, and he lost to Marab. And it's like nobody can beat Marab right now. The guy's just too damn strong, and the technique's catching up with that like mutant man. strength now that he's got good coaching behind him. Like this guy, this should honestly, he should be. This should be the co-main or the co-main event. In in all honesty, they just for whatever reason not he's not getting any love. Um, well rounded skill set. He can kind of fight wherever the fight or wherever the fight has to go in this fight. I, I feel pretty confident in Casey Kenny's abilities to uh to win in that range. Um I imagine 
that Casey Kenny is going to be on your on your parlays, probably near the top. Or am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Casey Kenny guy. Haley Alatang, uh, not someone I've ever been super high on. Actually, a friend of mine, Dennis Purich, melted him once upon a time back in a fight. Uh, well, it was a long time ago. But I remember, I remember, Purich knocks him out bad. And uh, the rec- it comes out on SureDog and comes out on Tapology that Alatang knocked out Dennis Purich. And it took like three years to get them to make it right. And I always wondered, like, oh, man, Chinese prospect? Like, were they trying to save him? When he made it to the UFC, oh, by the way, then he fought Kai Asakura, badass, knockout by Asakura, comes to the UFC on the, on the strength of no notable victories, not, he's still young, but, I mean, not, he, he runs his own team for the most part, and not a whole lot that you can like out of him, but they give him to now Batgirl, again, Mongolian wrestler in his debut, and he wins. The Ryan Bunoy fight, Ryan Bunoy, I... Should have done more. Ryan Bonoy has the skills to defeat highly Alatang. But hey, Alatang's getting better. His durability is not really a, question, a problem anymore. Uh, cardio, I guess. He's working on it. Grappling, it's all a work in progress. Doesn't do anything phenomenally well, but it's all a work in progress. But a year-long layoff, unless he's made a ton of improvements, what he looked like against Ryan Bonoy is not going to cut it against Casey Kinney. That literally does everything Ryan Bonoy does times two. You know, He's got twice the pressure. He's got twice the cardio. He's got twice the wrestling. His striking might not be as crisp, but there's just so much like more volume. There's just more, much willingness and aggression out of Casey Kinney. I like the kid. Not only are you talking about he loses to Marab Devadfili, Taken down 12 times, 12 times. Because when you take him down, he gets back up and he mm-hmm. makes you work. I think he's like a BJJ brown belt, judo black belt. Also did wrestle collegiately for a little bit, not to the level, you know, of not a D1 All-American kind of guy. But again, wrestled collegiately in a good program. He's got all those skills there. And then he spent a lot of time on the LFA scene, racking up wins. He's a, fought on a contender series twice, right? My Tachi Palace fights, which I love. It's like a six-time LFA veteran. That's all getting the necessary experience to compete at the highest level. Now that he's in the UFC, you're right. I mean, he's rocking a 3-1 and record in the world's biggest promotion. Wins over Smolka, Bermudez, and Ray Borg. All-name guys in the division. Uh, Bermudez is caught, but again, he missed weight, and he was gigantic in that fight. Casey Kinney goes out there and wears him out. Ray Borg's a former title challenger. Louis Smolka, at one point, was considered a title challenger, or like a title contender at the very least. And Marab, who's going to probably challenge title or challenge for a title in the near future. It's like, I, I like what I see out of Casey Kinney. And then you're giving him, you know, again, this is a Chinese prospect. You owe a fight to because it's you're contractually obligated to give him one. Uh, they, I don't know why it's buried on the card. Like I'd like to see a little more love for Casey Kinney, but again, Casey's a guy that, you know, a hundred percent is going to fight for your money. If you bet him, if you put him on a ticket, hundred percent, He's going to give you his absolute best effort. And I cannot ask for anybody, anything more from a guy. So now you give him, I think he's got the wrestling advantage here at the grappling event. And he's got the striking advantage. He's got the cardio event. I think he's literally got advantages everywhere. The only one thing is, is that he's not exactly a big 135-er. But hey, man, if you're taking on Murad Dubajvili and you're getting tossed around and you're getting back up, you're not exactly a small 135-er either. You know, you've got to have a little bit of a strength to do as well to keep that guy off you. So yeah, I got Casey Kinney. He's going to be a parlay piece as well because at three to one, you can't bet him straight up. And then as far as betting him by decision, oh man, he's got a pretty nasty little submission game. Whereas we think as Casey Kinney as a one hundred percent, he's a decision guy. As we talked about, dude, he fights a lot of good guys. So against Alatang, someone who's not on his level at least on paper, coming off a year long layoff, why why could he not catch him? 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a long history of, of decision victories. I get that. But I'm, I don't feel super confident in just chalking this one up to a decision for sure. So as a result, I'll probably just bet him straight up. And then because it's three to one, I, I it's got it. It's four to one, isn't it? I got to make it better than that. Yeah, it's three. Yeah, it's, three, th- yeah it's anywhere depending on yeah. where you're betting it from, like yeah. three fifty to like three hundred. But it's gonna continue to move up, I think, as the week goes on. Yeah. And finally, last fight. We've got uh, two guys I forgot were even in the UFC, Cody. We got uh, Jesse Nayari taking on Luigi Vendramini. Both of these guys haven't fought since 2018. I don't really know what either one of them has been up to. Uh, do you have any hard leans on this one? Like, I I think the safe thing, number one, is just to, like, see what these guys look on like look like on the scale. I haven't seen very many stories about, like, why both of them have been completely sidetracked. They've been looking to give people fights for... You know, uh, whether it's on Fight Island or in Vegas, like this entire stretch, we literally haven't had a week off and these guys haven't been even called. It seems kind of weird. Uh, do, you, do you have a hard lean in uh, Vendramini versus Ayari, basically a pick em. Yeah, I don't got much of a lean. My, my Well, my lean would be Jess and Ayari. I would take that little, slight little dog play and a fight that's likely just a dog or pass situation. But at least with Ayari, like he, he had fought in some decent European guys. Jim Wall had prior to coming or uh, that was his UFC debut, actually. But sorry, he had fought Mikel Labou, UFC veteran, comes to the UFC, or Juan Manuel Suarez, longtime Spanish veteran. Uh, yeah, so he's got two UFCs on his, on his record, two UFC veterans on his record, comes and beats Jim Wallhead. Now, you know me, and this is not nothing to do with skill, nothing, but I'm a Jim Wallhead guy. Jimmy is my guy. Judo Jim, Bellator veteran, longtime British regional scene veteran. I thought he screwed Jimmy, and I, it always left a bad taste in my mouth that I did not like Ayari. I don't like this guy. But at the end of the day, he did, technically speaking, beat my boy Judo Jim. Then he goes and he takes on Darren Till. Well, in hindsight especially, that's not a good fight now, is it? Hmm. But he goes out there, and it's a decision loss. Ayari doesn't engage a ton. He's got some okay movement from the outside. His grappling, not great. Wrestling, not great. He fancies himself more of a striker. But if you're not throwing a ton and you don't have that killer blow, it's just not, not enough is happening. Then he loses to Darren Till, and that fight's at 170 pounds, right? Now he fights Stevie Ray. It's his lightweight debut. Drops down to lightweight. We'll have a better version of him. But at the same time, Stevie Ray not exactly a joke, man. Stevie Ray, a guy that's got 10 fights in the UFC, a guy that's already fought in good level of competition. I, I just don't really know that Ayari was at that level, is at that level, is going to be at that level. But again, he loses. Now he's at a two-year-long layoff. But now I go to age, okay? He leaves the UFC. He's 26 years old. He just dropped down to lightweight. You can see that there's some skills there, but he's still very green. His movement's kind of wonky. Stays out of range a little bit too much. Has trouble gauging, you know, the gap a lot of the time. Now you give him two years off. Now he comes back as a 28-year-old. I would fully expect to see a better version of him. He keeps his fight standing, and he makes this a striking affair. I think he edges out Luigi Fedromini, who I don't think is particularly interested in striking. Now listen... The UFC gave him no favors when he debuted against Zaleski Dos Santos, but he went 0 for 5 in takedowns in that fight. Just did not want to strike, just wanted to take him down, and came up empty-handed on the takedown attempt. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I think he landed something like five significant strikes in the entire fight. No, sorry, he landed four significant strikes in the entire fight with uh, one of them coming in the first round and three of them coming in the second round. And now he's the favorite over Yesen Ayari. Like I, I don't, yeah, I'm not agreeing. Now, 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 mind you, 
He's 24, okay? He's also coming off a two-year-long layoff since the Zaleski fight. Zaleski was 22. Now he's coming back as a 24-year-old. They're both going to be different versions of themselves. And they both haven't shown you a ton to like to begin with. So if he comes back as a better grappler than he was two years ago, and he's more filled out, and he's got a little more uh, strength to him, and he's able to muscle a Yari down to the ground, yeah, he's going to end up winning the decision. And if he comes in and he's only 24, and you know he's still green, and he can't get a Yari down, and this mostly stands as a, a sparring-type kickboxing match from the outside, and Yari's going to chip away at him in the end. I, I'm just going to hit a dog or pass on this one. But... Uh, for people that are looking for bankroll management and that kind of stuff, <laughs> pass is probably the best uh, course of all right. Let's of action. Let's rip through the old DraftKings pricing here. Um, I don't know if you have it up on your page. I have it up on mine. We'll go above nine k. We got Charles Jordan ninety three, Kyler Phillips nine uh, ninety two, Todorovic. 91 and Casey Kenny 9000 flat. Um I think based on what we've been talking about on this show, Kenny and Jordan are our our two favorites uh from from 9k and above. Um do you have uh, uh what's your what's your thoughts on the DraftKings slate? I don't know if you've even looked at the pricing yet. Yeah, I'm just trying to bring up DraftKings in a separate window. I mean, Jordan hasn't exactly... This is a really tough week for DraftKings, to be perfectly honest. Like, a lot of these fighters don't typically finish. There's not too many grapplers. Um, it's uh, it's a bit of a crapshoot. There's no, there's nobody, like, jumping off the page like, you must play this. Like, I guess Kyler Phillips, he's got one UFC... What? Yeah, one one fight that's cataloged here in terms of... His scoring. I mean, he scored ninety six point five point uh, points in his last fight. So he's <laughs> fantasy <clears throat> fantasy points per fight. He is far and away the highest scoring, but that's only through one fight. Uh, Pena, I guess, if you think that she's gonna, if you have, if you think that she's gonna beat uh, me, at least you know that she's probably gonna stick to a grapple plan. But like I've. I've obviously heavily invested on the other side because I think the difference on the feet is so massive. That's where I'm going there. Um, yeah, for me, above 9K, Casey Kenny and uh, and Charles Jardine, my two favorite plays. What about you? Yeah, I think you nailed it 100%. With Kyler Phillips, there's just all that unknown on him. Listen, he could go out there and absolutely blow through Cameron else. I think that he's definitely worth a look. If you're playing multiple lineups, you want Kyler Phillips on some of those lineups. When the other guys that are in that that are expensive in that range, right? Um, with a Toro, sorry, Todorovich against Townsend, it's hard to score against Daquan, man, because he mostly just lies up against the cage, doesn't really do anything, doesn't fight off takedown attempts, doesn't really doesn't get, get back finished. up to give you more of them, and he's durable. So if you're not finishing him, there's not a whole lot of action happening in the course of the fight. Now I know that that his opponent likes to finish. I know that he's going to want to go out there and get the get the submission or the knockout. But if it doesn't happen against Daquan, you start to get tired. Now, all of a sudden, Dusko is going to have to start, you know, conserving some energy. And as he's conserving energy, it's just not scoring optimally for your lineup. You're going to Castro 8,900. As we talked about with Felipe, Felipe is durable, man. If Felipe doesn't roll over in the first round, you've got two slow, tired heavyweights, both 260-plus, you know, holding up against each other, not going to score. Landing tough, like 10 right? strikes per person for the last, you know for the last like seven and a half minutes of the fight. Like we know how those, that ends up with like a 50 point winner type of thing, which is no, no bueno for anybody. 
Absolutely. Now with Charles Rodin, you look at a guy here, Duho Choi, he knocked him down. He had scored two knockdowns, right? Ends up with 122 points, but he gets the knockout. Keep that in mind, right? The Feely fight, he knocked down Feely as well, but because he got taken down five times, only generates 41 points in a loss. Mm -hmm. He does not get taken down. You do not hold on to him. He's going to score over 100 significant strikes. He's got the power. He's knocking down Choi. He's knocking down Feely. No sense that he's not going to knock out Kulabao as well if you just give this 15 minutes of striking. So I think he's definitely live. Casey Kinney, he's going to re rely a lot more on the grappling and the exchanges. You know, he's a former flyweight, lots of scrambles. Takedown, takedown, strike, strike, takedown. When you are on the ground, ground trenches. Since Casey Kinney loves to pass once he's on the ground, he's a guy that's going to score. Those would be the three guys that you're looking for as high up. Now we go to that mid-range. Okay, maybe you want to save some mid-range. I'm not on Williams myself. You, you mentioned Duran Duran to me. I feel you there. I really do. Uh, I can see her winning. I would be way more inclined about the money line than better on DraftKings. Only saying that because even if she does stuff those takedowns and does beat Pena, hard to knock out Pena, no doubt. And Pena's just going to try to cling to her. Yeah, that's fair. Pena's just going to try to take her down. If she stuffs the takedown and wins the fight on the basis of, hey, she defended and she landed a few strikes and won the fight. Still, you didn't land over 100. You didn't knock her down. You didn't yeah. take her down. She'll no score ground like transition. 70 in a win, and that's, you know, at 8,600. That's not going to do it for you either. But there's good. I think there's good, it looks sure. like a really low scoring card in general. Um, where where are these where are these boom fights? Well, I mean, your boy Movev way down at seventy five hundred. Obviously, we're just chucking him in there. Maybe we find some Carlos Condit, Condit a little bit of quit in there in Court McGee, who threw one hundred and seven strikes against Sean Brady in a loss. There, maybe if that's the strategy for Court McGee, um, you know high volume, tire them out. I, I could see Carlos Condit wilting and Court McGee on a low scoring type of fight card ending up on like an optimal lineup here. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I'm I honestly think that when you're when, <laughs> No, no, listen, we talked about three guys that we love on the top. The problem is affording those three guys makes you really dig low to the bottom. Mm -hmm. So it's like, who are the, some of those low bottom guys that you want to make that play on? Imovov to me screams definitely play. Because at 7,500, he's got the upside you want. He could get the knockout. He could score you a lot of points. He could give look like a legitimate prospect that we're excited about. Perfect. Sign me up for Imovol. He's $7,500. I'm willing to take that play on him. Who are some of those other ones? So I don't like Jermaine Durandamy at her price tag. But if I was going to say Juliana Pena did find a path to victory with those takedowns, then at mm -hmm. 7,600, she'd at least be worth a look. Other people... Um, with Alatang, I don't got him. You don't got no. him. We're both on Team Casey Kinney. But because he's a bantamweight and Casey Kinney loves to scramble, that if he was able to edge out, there's going to be a lot of movement. There's going to be a lot of work. I would almost maybe take Alatang on a cash game that I knew he was going to lose, like double, like maybe stack it even on a, on a cash game just to see. Um, because he's a cheap price. He would allow you to afford some of those other high-end guys that you wanted. And I think if he goes to decision, he's still going to end up scoring you know, 40 points, let's say. Not optimal, but not getting starched out in the first round, scoring you absolutely nothing. Carlos Felipe, hey, we got a heavyweight here who weighs 260 pounds. He's only $7,300. But at the same time, like, all he's got is really, he's got his durability. But Jorgen DeCastro's opponent, shit, kind of durable himself. If this gets sloppy, and I got the over on this one, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think either guy's going to score lots. Aldana, she's got five rounds to work with. But it's hard to hit Holly Holm. It's hard to really tack significant strikes on Holly Holm. Jinyu Frey, 77, she, she's always going to give you a sweat. But I think Cormagia at 83, I think maybe you, I know, I know the pass is the best move for a Yari Vendramini. First fight of the card, might as well hit a pass. But 
because they're both right in that sweet spot of you might have to afford some guy like that. They could score a decent, the winner of that fight could score enough. But yeah, for my money's worth, I I, I like it's Pena, tricky, I man. like Imovov. I know, I like Pena, I like Imovov, I like Court McGee. If you take those three, then you can afford two of your bigger plays, whether it be Charles Jordan, Casey Kinney, or you can take Kyler Phillips and Charles Jordan, or you can take Casey Kinney and Kyler Phillips. And then you're going to need one mid-range play. Maybe it's a Luka Bume. She's a little too expensive. Maybe it's a it's a Yari eighty two hundred. Maybe it's Vendramini at eight thousand. Yeah, just got to figure that one. Yeah, out. So, of course. Yeah, again, we got to watch Wayans. Wayans is going to be big. Um, I also am definitely going to keep tape studying. I got a feeling that like I'm going to keep st- uh, keep tape studying this Cameron else. It turns out he's really no good. And you want more Kyler Phillips, but for the time being, I feel pretty comfortable for where we're at. I think the big favorites have gotten steamed to where they're at. Maybe we're going to have to tie them onto some tickets and hopefully whiff out the apple pie shitter in advance so that we could have a good weekend and, and get this thing back rolling. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, that's just about it for us. But before we go, hit them with the PRP. Okay. So, yeah, I think we got one underdog on the whole card. But but we're going to go Holly Holm by decision. We're taking Jorgen De Castro by decision decision i know that sounds crazy but mm-hmm. that's what we're gonna do you're gonna cast her by decision what is that price by the way let me just check that really quick. him by decision i i got it in front of me give me a second you keep you keep docking i'll yell it out he's plus 325 by decision that's that's a badass price tag yeah, because yeah Felipe's he's been, as durable as we think he is then uh yeah yeah and, and 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 here's the other thing is that like he's got those big knockouts on his record i think he's knocked out i, I five of his six career wins of a knockout but look back to that carlton little fight it's like, bro, he's not really a heavyweight. Uh, I, I could definitely see this one going decision. I could I see, see Castro it. just outpointing him by decision. So well, 325 is a hell of a price tag a little Definitely work a little whiff. I just yeah, ca- I, but, but anyways, there's a there's a plus four hundred out there, Cody. I'm I'm hitting it right now. Just just for a little, little just for a little scratch. Nothing crazy. Hell's yeah, man. I actually I feel that. Okay, so yeah, we got we got Holly Holm by decision. We got Jorgen DeCastro by decision. Huge, huge price tag on that. Julian, I'm going to take Julian Pena. Fuck it. I got Julian Pena. I, I could switch on that by time. I, by the time I tweet out the parlays, follow me on Twitter if, you're, if you haven't already at wow. CJ Sapphic. Maybe that changes. Maybe that changes and I tape study and I really fall off, but I need a second dog. and I just, I'm just i chasing dog. You don't here, need maybe. a second dog. You're fading, Pena, you're fading taking, my big bet, Pena. buddy. I'm taking Pena. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. All Talk right. me out of it again. Good luck to you. Okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go Dusko, and hopefully he's not Dustco. Uh, Court McGee. By decision, that'll be plus money again. Kyler Phillips, Charles Jourdain, uh Nasserine Imovov. That's technically dog number one. If we if I do end up on Pena, he'll be dog number two. And he's the dog I obviously like better of the two. I got a Luka Bume. I'm that also gonna be a decision. You know, chase those plus money on those fights that are going the decision. Uh Casey Kinney, I got him, I'll take him straight up. And I'm gonna go with Ayari. Um, do I love that one? No, no. Could be a pass, but yeah, as far as the PRP goes, Ayari's gonna be on it. And uh that should round things out. So again, I know it's Wednesday. We still got a few days out. We got to watch Wayne's. We got to check interviews and check tape and check whatever becomes available between now and then. But yeah, man, listen, we've the cars that you feel good about. Shit, I got a nice little parlay this weekend. Ooh, there's no way Colby Covington loses. I'm gonna make some money. I just got to parlay him with Chamayev because there's no way Chamayev loses. And then I'll just parlay them with TJ Laramie because there's no way. Shit in the apple pie, pal. You know that's what? what's going to happen. That's good. That's what's going to happen with you taking this pen shot. Let's should get, we should we let's make get back on track? We, we're going to take we're going to take wait, Brad Riddell. We? We're going to take Brad Riddell. We got we got a big Spanish heavyweight Espino. These guys no these guys ain't going to let me down, Paul. 
and we'll just put them with Dominic Reyes. He seems shit in the apple pie, Paul. So should so we this take weekend, a uh, a Pena versus Durandomy Shui or a, a booty bet here or what? Let's t- yeah. Let's I'm take willing. A I'm willing. Bet. Yeah, you, you got Pena. I, I got Durandomy. I'd be willing to take you in a song bet as well, a song or a Shui bet. bet. Uh, a song bet. I haven't I haven't sang in in ages. Since you lost nobody your last wa- song nobody bet. wants to see me <laughs> nobody wants to see me sing I'll tell you that much no, Matt okay Shuey bet Shuey bet for next week in studio on uh, Pena Durandamy and and if I end up switching my pick between here and there the bet still stands I took the Shuey wow. bet right now here right now fuck uh, it let's go for it uh, that, that, that fight it's pretty just much became, even there's no advantage either side that fight just became my main event of the evening all right thanks matt best for doing all the sweet cuts behind the, the scenes there thank you to cody saftik for dropping all of his knowledge on us on a card that clearly i uh i always have to lean a little bit on him especially when we're we're dealing with a card like this so for matt and cody i'm paul saying goodbye and good luck Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.